0: So today's Bible reading is Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to the end of the chapter, and then chapter 16, verse 1 to 12. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute and many others and laid them at his feet and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those he ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, When evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, "'It is because we didn't bring any bread.' Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, "'You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves "'about having no bread? "'Do you still not understand? "'Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 "'and how many basketfuls you gathered? "'Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 "'and how many basketfuls you gathered? "'How is it you don't understand "'that I was not talking to you about bread?' but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees.
1: Thanks, Vanessa. Well, you'll need to uh, keep uh, your Bibles or your your Bible passage there uh, open, and uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us, Uh, the wisdom and the wonder of your word, that we may follow in it. Amen. Well, uh, for three years, Jesus did absolutely incredible and amazing public miracles uh, throughout Judah. There were countless blind eyes opened, countless skin diseases cured, cripples healed, even a few dead people raised back to life. Jesus fed, on several occasions, thousands from a lunchbox and had plenty left over. Jesus walked across the water, cast out demons, commanded the wind and the sea, and turned water into wine. For three years of his public life, Jesus showed incredible compassion to the rich, the poor, the diseased, the outcast, the commoner, the Jew, the Gentile. Jesus never turned anyone away, and he never put a foot wrong. He never sinned. He never did anything that anyone could pin on him. For three years, Jesus' teaching and preaching was tested and challenged and analysed. Day after day, he taught publicly, and no one could disprove a single thing that he said. No one, not even the brightest minds and the the biggest experts, could match his wisdom. No one could match his understanding of God's promise and his authority. Now all of these things are really plain and obvious signs that Jesus is no ordinary man. They're plain and obvious signs that Jesus really is the one that God had promised long ago, would come and bring salvation to his people. And for three years, the disciples, the crowds, and the religious leaders had really struggled to see these signs for what they really are. As plain and obvious and powerful as these signs were, they really struggled to understand them whether it was because they were too dull or too distracted or too dogged to change. The people of Israel didn't seem to be able to understand these signs that showed that Jesus really is the promised one. The Lord God himself come to rescue and redeem his people. And here we've got this beautiful little picture of where the people of Israel really struggled to grasp The reality that these signs showed we have an outsider point one even the dogs get the crumbs the outsider who did get the signs have a look at verse 21 Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon Uh, this was a place to the north of Judah uh, which was really Gentile territory And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Now, uh, this woman, Matthew tells us, is a Canaanite woman. Uh, He could have actually used a more modern name uh, for this woman and the region she came from, but he's deliberately used a name that's designed to throw our minds way back in history, way back to when God first brought the Israelites into the land of Canaan, and when God said that they were to fully wipe out all the people of Canaan, because these people were wicked. These people had rejected God to worship idols. And so this woman is not someone that a respectable Jew wanted anything to do with. A reminder and a remnant uh, to remind Israel of their failure to obey God's command. A descendant of those wicked people that deserve to be wiped out. And yet here she is coming to Jesus. And look what she calls him there in verse 22. Lord, son of David... Now, we don't know anything else about this woman, but obviously she's heard something about Jesus. She she probably hadn't seen him before this, but she must have heard about his miracles. She must have heard about his teaching. She must have heard uh, that there was nothing, no spot, no stain, no blemish, nothing to discredit him at all. She must have heard about his compassion for the weak and the poor and the vulnerable and people on the outside just like her. She must have heard his teaching about the kingdom of God and and this woman from outside, this woman recognises the signs. She understands what they mean. Jesus is the Lord, the son of David. It's a bit of an interesting title especially since we know that actually uh, david wasn't his father we had joseph and then actually joseph wasn't really jesus father either was he (laughs) because god was his father what does she mean by son of david well to an israelite that term is a very special one that name that title because way back when david was king in 2 samuel 7 god made a great promise to David and it was a promise that actually built on the promises that God had already made to bless every nation through, the, through Abraham and through the Israelites. God promised that a descendant, an offspring, a son would come from David's family who like David would be a shepherd king, a king who would gather his people and bring them into safety, a king who who would have a kingdom that, unlike David's, would last forever and have no end. A kingdom that would be established in righteousness and peace. A king who would bring all of God's promises to fulfilment. She recognises this is the shepherd king that God had promised. Jesus, these signs show, is the one. But at the same time, he is Lord, God Almighty, the God of mercy and power, who can do anything and who delights to show kindness and mercy to his enemies. See, this woman sees the signs that much of Israel could not. She recognizes who Jesus is, and because she recognizes who he is, she comes for mercy. That's a little bit weird, isn't it, uh, what Jesus does next. Uh, In verse 23, we see Jesus actually just ignores her. He doesn't answer her at all. And as we read that, I don't know if you kind of go, ooh, is that that Jesus being racist? You know, like, why has he not answered this woman? The disciples uh, want to send her away. They certainly don't want to have anything to do with this Canaanite woman. And Jesus... Rather than disagree with them, actually makes one of Jesus' you know typically cryptic statements in verse 24. He says to the disciples, when they say, Send her away, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, after this enigmatic statement, then the woman doesn't give up. Even though Jesus has ignored her, he hasn't answered her. She might have even overheard him telling his disciples that actually, no, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. This woman comes, verse 25, knelt before him, which is the only right pose before a king. Lord, help me, she said. This is a woman who's pretty desperate, isn't she? I mean, think about it, if you're in her shoes... It's a woman who not only is desperate, she is absolutely convinced that Jesus is the one who can and will help her. And so she doesn't give up. Unlike the disciples a few verses later who want to give up on the crowd and think, well, we don't have enough bread, let's just get out of here. And Jesus replies again, another unusual response. Verse 26 it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now that, at first glance, seems pretty brutal, doesn't it? Uh, Jesus basically said, well, the Israelites are the children and you Canaanites are the dogs. And I, it's not right for me to give you what belongs to them. But Jesus is actually making a point here. And Jesus, not only does he heal this woman's daughter, but actually in a few moments he's going to honour this woman for her faith. Have a look at verse 27. Yes, Lord, she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. See, this woman not only recognised that Jesus is the son of David, that he's the shepherd who will gather and bring in and rescue his sheep. Not only that he is Lord and God and King, but she knew that because he is the shepherd, because he is Lord and God and King, that there was room for a Canaanite like her and her daughter. She knew that even though Jesus' mission here on earth was to the Jews, she knew that actually that mercy and that grace and that kingdom would spread and spill out beyond Israel to include people from all nations. She knew that Jesus is the merciful servant, uh, shepherd king who would extend mercy to someone like her. And Jesus stops and says this, this is what great faith looks like. Great faith isn't about moving mountains. It's not about doing miraculous works or jumping into the unknown. Great faith is about recognising the signs that Jesus is the shepherd king, the Lord, the son of David, and coming to him and begging for mercy. This is what great faith looks like. This this stranger understood the signs, but once again, Jesus' disciples did not. Point two, once more, for the slow learners, the disciples not quite there yet. Now, can anyone here tie a truckie's hitch? I bet there's a few. Andrew? Yeah, we've got a few. Yeah, I thought there'd be a few around. Uh, Well, I'm a shocker when it comes to knots. I can only tie two knots. I know how to tie the uh, hook onto the end of my fishing line. And I know how to tie... I don't even know what it's called, actually. Uh, I could tie something. There you go. I'm a shocker at knots. Uh, and a bunch... Of, I've always wanted to learn how to do a truckie's hitch. Always wanted to do a truckie's hitch. And a bunch of times someone's taught me. And it, you know, it takes me a few goes. It, you know, I'm a bit slow. They have to explain it again and again. And let me... You know, one more time for the dummies. And, and, and I'll figure it out. And then after a couple of days, it's gone again. Just in one ear and out the other just falls out of my head. Now apparently the disciples here had that same kind of falling out of the head problem that they needed lesson over and over and over again because they didn't quite get the point. See, they had seen all the signs better than anyone. They'd been up close and personal with Jesus. They'd seen miracles that no one else had seen. They had heard Jesus teach things that no one else had heard him teach they'd seen jesus in the wee hours of the morning and the late hours of the night and they knew that they'd never seen him swear or curse or get angry uh, out of inappropriately or they had seen him perfect in all of that and here we see they still haven't gotten the point point. and jesus tests them he tests them by repeating a little miracle that he'd just done a little bit earlier. Uh, We looked just two weeks ago in chapter 14 at Jesus feeding the 5,000 and here again we see that these large crowds have followed Jesus to the middle of nowhere. Sound familiar? Here again the crowds are hungry. Sound familiar? Here again Jesus has compassion on them. Sound familiar? And this time, Jesus goes to the disciples and tests them. Verse 32. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days. They've got nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry. They might collapse on the way. And at this point, we're thinking, ah, the disciples are going to... This is going to ring a bell. The disciples are going to twig that's right, I know, this this happened just recently, didn't it? Oh, that's right, feeding the 5,000. Jesus can feed them again. But they don't. Instead, they reply, verse 33, well, where on earth are we going to get enough bread out in the middle of nowhere to feed all these people? Well, maybe they need just a little bit more reminding. Jesus asks them, verse 34, well, how many loaves do you have? Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Seven, they said, and a few small fish. Come on, guys. But still, still they've forgotten. Still, they haven't grasped the reality of who it is they're dealing with. They've forgotten how powerful Jesus is. They've forgotten how compassionate and loving he is. They've forgotten that he can feed these people in an instant. So Jesus teaches them again exactly the same thing he did last time sits the people down took the loaves of fish uh, loaves and fish gave thanks broke it up gave it to disciples collected basketfuls of leftover and there's two things i want us to notice with this little event firstly is that jesus is graciously and gently giving his disciples a second chance to learn what this sign teaches See, not only is he being compassionate to the crowds, he's actually at this moment being compassionate to his dim-witted disciples. See, the point that they'd obviously missed last time is that he is the son of David, the shepherd king who feeds and provides a banquet for his lost and helpless sheep. They've missed the point that he is the kind and powerful king who is able to care for his people's needs. And miss the point that he is Lord Almighty and they don't need a shop selling thousands of loaves of bread for him to feed a crowd. And, you know, I actually reckon that's a real comfort for dull students like me. Maybe you don't put yourself in that basket, but I think, like the disciples, we're all a little bit slow to learn some of the most important lessons. I think, like the disciples, we're all quick to forget, even with all the hints and the winks and the nudges. I mean, which of us has only ever needed once to be told not to sin and never needed to be told again? I think none of us. Which of us has only ever needed to be told once that Jesus is our shepherd and we don't need to fear anything and not needed to be told again? Jesus here is demonstrating to the disciples and to us that he is the patient and gentle and kind shepherd who, for silly, stubborn sheep, gently, continually loves and reminds and teaches us again and again that he is the shepherd that loves and cares for us and will provide our needs. And the second thing I think that we learn here is that Jesus is showing the direction that his kingdom is going to take. As Jesus had just stated, the first phase, the first part of his mission while he was here on earth was to Israel. The starting point of Jesus' mission is in Israel. Yet here Jesus is in Gentile territory. Here Jesus is feeding and healing and teaching Gentiles. We know that because who do they praise? They praise, verse 31, the God of Israel. It's an unusual phrase which shows actually these are not Israelites here who are praising the God of Israel. And so Jesus is giving us a little glimpse, a little foretaste, that his kingdom, like the crumbs that spill off the table, will go out beyond Israel, will spill out into all nations, who will pick up the crumbs that Israel's left behind. And so where many in Israel would not understand the signs, would not accept, would reject Jesus, actually many from all the nations will, and many from the nations have. Jesus is graciously, gently giving his disciples a second chance, and he's shown the direction of his kingdom. And speaking of those from Israel who dropped the crumbs and the loaves, we come to the teacher leaders of Israel. Point three, the blind guides, the teacher leaders who ignore the signs. Now, tell me if this sounds familiar. You're uh, chatting to someone, uh, they're not a believer, and uh, they, they tell you this. Look, oh, I'd, I'd happily believe in Jesus. If he just gave me a sign, you know, if he he opened up the heaven, you know, he could kind of put like a big sign in neon up in the sky. Maybe if he, you know, kind of did a miracle here or healed my leg or... If Jesus just gave me a sign, I'd believe in him. We've all heard that old chestnut, haven't we? Come across that before? Probably even asked that ourselves or thought that ourselves before. sounds pretty reasonable doesn't it sounds quite open i'm open to believe if if i had the proof i need it sounds pretty fair except jesus didn't think so he didn't think it was very open or fair or reasonable have a look at chapter 16 and verse 1 see the religious leaders tried this very line on jesus Verse 1, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Well, just like feeding the 4,000 was déjà vu for feeding the 5,000, actually this is déjà vu for anyone who's been reading through Matthew because back in chapter 12, the Pharisees had come to Jesus and asked this exact same question already. And back there... As now, Jesus sees right through their question, right through the pretense to the hardness of their hearts. And Jesus' answer in verse 4 puts things in perspective. I look at verse 4. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. And then Jesus walked away. See so what's Jesus saying here? He's saying, you come to me pretending you want to believe. You come to me saying, 'If, if you show me who you are, then I will trust you. But that's a lie. You already have all the signs you need. I mean, these Pharisees, these Sadducees had been in the synagogue and watched withered hands regrow and fill with flesh. They've watched cripples whose legs were shriveled and curled and manky jump up and dance, pick up their mat and run home. These people had seen the cataracts fall off of blind eyes. They'd seen lepers whose flesh was rotten and festering and cankerous suddenly turn as fresh and smooth and soft as a baby's backside. These guys had all the signs they needed. And these guys are supposed to be the guides. They're supposed to be the leaders and the teachers of Israel. These guys are supposed to be the experts in in identifying the signs that the Messiah has arrived. That the son of David has come and they can't read the signs in front of their own noses. And Jesus says, look, it's not because of dullness. It's not because of lack of evidence. It's because of wickedness. Stubbornly refusing to acknowledge Jesus. And Jesus says they will get one sign that will give them absolutely no reason and no excuse. The sign of Jonah. That's a little bit cryptic, isn't it? I mean, a lot of us have sort of heard the story of Jonah. You know, at very least, we know he was a guy that got swallowed by a fish. I think a lot of people, that's all they know. But at this point, actually, that's all we need to know. Because Jesus said, back in chapter 12, when he explained a little bit further, 12 verse 40, As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Those men of Nineveh, the people that Jonah preached to, who repented and turned to God, those outsiders will stand up at the judgment and condemn this generation because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now something greater than Jonah is here. See, Jesus says there is a sign that will be the sign that you will be judged on whether or not you accept it. It is the sign to end all signs that just like Jonah had spent three days in a fish's belly, figuratively dead, figuratively buried and figuratively risen when he returned to the land of the living three days later. The great sign that Jesus would give to these wicked and hardened Pharisees and Sadducees, was that he would do the same. Not figuratively, but literally dead and buried. Not figuratively, but literally three days in the ground. And not figuratively, but literally risen. He would return to the land of the living. This was the resurrection that the prophets had spoken about many of you will be familiar with Isaiah 53 it's a psalm about the good shepherd who would give up his life to save his sheep and who would rise again to bring righteousness in life have a listen we all like sheep have gone astray and each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the guilt Of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He was taken away, and no one protested, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the sin of my people, he was punished, he was given a grave with the wicked. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And even though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And you know, to people today who still look for a sign the answer's still the same, isn't it? There is a sign, only one sign. You don't need the heavens to open and neon lights. We've already got the greatest and clearest and most obvious sign there could possibly be. Jesus died, was buried, and three days later rose again, just as he said he would. Just as God had said hundreds of years before he would. And so I encourage you when you find yourself thinking that maybe you don't have enough to go on to keep trusting Jesus, go straight back to the resurrection. The fact that Jesus died and rose is all the proof you need that Jesus is worth following to the end. And when you find yourself in a discussion with, with anyone about Jesus and they're not quite sure, they feel like they need a sign, even if they don't feel like they need a sign, go straight back to the resurrection. The only ultimate proof that Jesus really is the son of David who came to rescue stray sheep. See, so the reality is if someone can't accept that sign, they won't accept any sign. And our passage here finishes with a warning, point four. Jesus says, don't fall into their trap. Be on your guard. Seeing what is means rejecting what isn't. Have a look at verse 5, 16 verse 5. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now you've got to really, you know, it's a bit of a face palm moment here, isn't it? Because the disciples, they go, oh, yeast, bread. Jesus is grumpy because we didn't bring bread. And you think, come on, guys, after everything has just happened, how can you possibly be thinking that's the problem? Jesus just fed, you know, 4,000 plus people. He can feed you. And verse 11, Jesus says to them, guys, how do you not get it? How don't you understand that I wasn't talking about bread? Now I'm warning you to be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood. He was not telling them to guard against yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. See, so Jesus knows there's a very great danger for us as his disciples. A great danger that we can have, like the disciples, all the signs. We can have all the evidence and still miss the point. Still fail to recognise who he truly is and like that Canaanite woman, come to him and trust him for mercy and everything we need. We can spend years in church, years in the scriptures. We can go to Bible college and get degrees. And we can still fail to grasp what that woman grasped. That Jesus is the good shepherd king who welcomes outsiders in and gives mercy. Now I'm sure there'll be some of us here struggling in your faith. All of us at some time struggle in our faith. All of us I think at some time fall into that trap of wanting something more, a sign, something to keep us going, something to keep us trusting. Go to the empty tomb. There is where you find all the sign you'll ever need. And when the blind guides of our age try and lead us away, keep going back to the resurrection, Jesus really is the son of David. He really is the merciful shepherd king. Go to him for mercy.